0: My name is Scott Miller. My wife Kathleen and I have been attending Five Oaks since late December 2016. And I have been privileged to be part of the leadership team for the BLESS campaign. My role has been to contribute my work background and experience as an architect to the visioning, planning and the thought processes behind the building projects for the campaign. And it has been a very rewarding experience. I've been able to use my 40 years of work in architecture to help us go from concept, vision, planning, and now as we move into execution. One of the main goals of the BLESS campaign is to create a more welcoming environment for visitors. This is both on the outside as they drive up for the first time, and as they walk through the vestibule doors here at the main entry. It's our first opportunity to say, welcome welcome home today is an update of where we are in the process in january the budget scopes were aligned and balanced with the congregational's financial commitments to the blessed campaign the priority in 2021 will be updating the appearance of the exterior main entrance canopy as well as the interior's common spaces we will be gathering bids in late spring and summer with the goal is to initiate the work late summer sometime in the fall. This will include fresh looks on the outside, painting of the canopy, new roof of the canopy, adding handrails down the stairs on the outside, and adding, oh, landscaping at the main entrance. The inside, the commons area will have new carpeting, will be covering the slick stained concrete floors as well as a new reception welcoming desk. The children's wing corridor will be updated with new Paint and carpeting, and the most exciting thing is the national EV-free pickleball training and recreation center Scottie, that is planned. Scotty, Scotty, no, there's what? no,
1: there's no, there's,
0: there's, there's no, no training center.
1: Oh, oh, that's next
0: year, ne- 2022. Yeah, pickleball this year, training, training center, center next, next year. year. My bad, I, I do apologize. For this year, we're going to create a new welcoming environment for visitors at the front door. The first thing they see and experience when they walk in to the building, which is the overall arching goal for the BLESS campaign. A chance to say, welcome, welcome home. I'm excited for everyone to look forward to that difference when we're done with these first steps this late late summer, fall. And I'll give an update in early summer to let you know where we are in the process. And once again, thank you for your continued commitment to the BLESS campaign.
2: good morning to everybody online or good afternoon or evening if you're watching this later uh but welcome welcome to our service today uh with the blast, BLAST campaign you know we're, we have all these updates that we're going to be giving you along the way and each time i just want to invite you if you were not able uh to participate last fall it is not too late to participate we didn't reach our goal we we did really really well especially during covid but if we could reach our goal, there are some things that we can do that uh, we're having to you know, trim and cut, and it would be fantastic for you to join in with your church family, those of you who are, call this your church family, and uh, even if it's a, uh, what you would consider a small gift, uh, what you would consider a small gift, it won't be a small gift in God's eyes, and just participating is uh, one of our goals uh, in this campaign. So want to encourage you to consider that. You just go to our website and look at the Give tab and work your way down, and you'll find the Blessed Campaign, and you can do that. All right, we're in our eighth week of our series called Room of Marvels. It's a series on foundational biblical doctrines we've got one more week next week we look at the last things the doctrine of the last things looking at the the end of the age and what God is going to be doing but today we're talking about the church and i want to invite you to open your bibles to ephesians chapter 2 even after the bible reading has been done we will return to that early on in the sermon so keep your bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2. So let me give you a little teaser about some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. Today we're going to be talking about the value of church creeds. Uh, We're also, I'm going to ask a question about the importance of the church and the value of the church that I will refuse to answer, (laughs) but I'll give you some clues as to how to find the answer. And then finally we're going to talk about why we need just, not just orthodoxy, but we also need orthopraxy and how that has nothing to do with dentistry, all right? So that's that's where we're going today. We're going to pray, uh, asking God the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word. And this prayer is based on Ephesians chapter two. So please join me in prayer, Heavenly Father. Thank you that you've chosen to call us your own, as your children. We're members of your family. We're also your building, your temple, joined together with you as the cornerstone. Open our hearts and our minds to the work of your spirit as we look to your word. Teach us and lead us. Remind us that you are our firm foundation. Use us and build us up together in you for your kingdom and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's watch the scripture read by one
1: of our five ochres. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 through 22.
2: So throughout this series, uh, for those of you who've been part of the series, if you're brand new with us, we have been uh, tracking along with a book called Emblems of the Infinite King. It's a systematic theology book for people 10 years old through adult. And so we're going to hear the opening section of his chapter on the church. Let's let's jump to that right now.
1: Chapter 7, The Temple Key, The Doctrine of the Church. With the turn of your key, the stars above begin to fuse their light together until it becomes so violently bright you have to cover your eyes. When you're finally able to look up again, you find that the throne and sea have been replaced by a humble room with stucco-like walls and simple openings to let in the cool air. The dust-flecked sunlight flooding the room leads your eyes to a large table where at its center sit a small plate of bread and a simple cup of wine. You've heard about this place before, but you can't remember what it is. As you stand in the shadows, racking your brain, trying to place it, you hear His wise voice again. Step inside Christ's church. Your life was never your own. From the beginning, your king made you to know love and serve others. He made others to do the same for you. That is why, even when they don't recognize it, the people of this world need to create communities, neighborhoods, and towns. It's why humans constantly want to connect with each other. It's why you like the TV on when no one else is around. It's why your parents are looking at their phones so much. It's why you hope your friend from class invites you to his birthday party. Your king made you to know and love him, and to know and love others like you. This is why you are in the upper room right now. You see, the king made you this way, not only for your happiness, but also for your holiness. This is why the death killer gathered twelve imperfect men to follow him, and why he brought them to this table the night before his death. The bread and wine before you were the beginnings of a new meal He created through His new promises for His new family. It was here that Christ set the course for His own new community, what people in your world call the church. Now, there are two ways to think about the church. The first is the local church. This is probably what you think of when you hear that word. The local church is like the one you see on the corner of the street on your way to school. But the local church isn't just that building. It's the people meeting with each other that makes up the church. It is a gathering of faith-filled people who meet together often in a set-aside place to worship the Lord together. But the Bible talks about a bigger church too, one your world calls the universal church. This is the true church without the limits of time or space. That just means that the Universal Church includes all Christians, anyone and everyone who clings to the death killer for their hope and happiness, regardless of age and place. The Universal Church's membership role is kept on the Lion Lamb scroll that you saw by the crystal clear sea. The Universal Church includes those who live on the other side of the world and even those who no longer live in this world. The local church and the Universal Church overlap, but they aren't the same thing. There are those in the universal church who are in the local church, but some in the local church don't have membership in the universal church. Just like your own heart, only the king who made you can perfectly see the universal church he is making. That is why the membership scroll belongs to him and only the death killer can open it.
2: All right. So what do we need to know about the church? What's essential to know about the church? We're going to look at four things that are essential to know about the church. And the first one, we need to know about the images of the church. The scripture uses a lot of images to describe the church. Uh, We are not going to cover all of them, but I do want to uh, share four with you that are key images. Um, The first one is that the church is the bride of Christ. And not just the bride of Christ, but that the church as the bride of Christ is a bride that Jesus dies for. That's how he describes it in Ephesians chapter 5. So the church is my bride, and I die for her. And he uses that as uh, the main idea, and then he applies it to marriage. Uh, But the bride of Christ. Secondly, the temple of the Holy Spirit. When I was growing up, the temple of the Holy Spirit was, was in the church I was growing up in. It was emphasized that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that's true. That is in the Scripture. But more often than not, when it speaks about the temple of the Holy Spirit today, the temple of the Holy Spirit is the church gathered together. It's the church as a whole. And that, that was, I, I'm not sure that that was ever taught to me uh, while I was growing up. But that's exactly what Ephesians chapter 2 says. So look at Ephesians chapter 2 again, the passage that we just read, and look at verse 21 where it says, in him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So, the building is us. It's the church that he's talking about in verses 19 and 20. And then it says, and in him, you too, and the you there is plural, talking to the church, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. We are dwelling Uh, The whole idea of the temple, it was the place, the sacrifices were given, all of that was given in order to make it a suitable place for God's presence to be among his people. And it was very exacting primarily to get across the idea that God doesn't just dwell with his people anywhere, but we have been made holy through the Holy Spirit. We don't act holy all the time, but we have been made holy through the Holy Spirit because we have the holiness of Christ in us. And as a church, we become a dwelling. We are uh, a temple uh, of God, a temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, A third metaphor that's used our image is the body of Christ. This is one, I think, that that most of us, if you've been around the church very long, are more familiar with because... uh, You know, it speaks of Christ being the head, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says we are like the body parts, we're different. You know, one of us might be a hand, another one might be a foot, another one might be a mouth. We're not all doing the same thing. We're fit together to accomplish God's mission of raising us up in Christ. And then the last one is the family of God. We're the family of God as the church. And so in the Emblems book, it says this about the family of God. It says, this is a ragtag family made up of all kinds of people with all kinds of paths and all kinds of circumstances. When we see the church as a whole, it looks like a patchwork quilt with different shapes, patterns, colors, and designs all sewn together by the threads of faith and the king's steady hand. It's beautiful, a beautiful thing that we are as the family of God, but it is also a messy, messy thing because we come in with all those pasts and even our presence as we are being made holy by Christ, as as his work is not done until the last things, next week, until he returns and completes the work in us. So the New Testament churches were a mess. The church today is a mess. Now, sometimes that mess gets so messy, it hurts people, and it can hurt people really, really deeply. And I just want to encourage you that if you've been hurt by a church or churches really, really deeply is don't give up on Christ's church. Some churches are churches in name only. Some churches are churches, and they are hurtful uh, because it's filled with people. And we hurt each other. Families hurt each other. And so don't reject the church because a church has hurt you. All right. So what else do we need to know about the church? We need to know about the marks of a church. One of the things that can help us in, uh, you know, it takes discernment to find a church that is going to be healthy in a kind of place where it reflects Christ's priorities for the church. Um, The reality is I I have talked to some people who have been in a series of really highly, highly dysfunctional churches. And they, uh, you know, it, it could be just terrible bad luck it could be sometimes that, you know, sometimes a lot of us are not really good at picking friends, <laughs> and uh, we kind of gravitate toward uh, s- some people that are not always going to be the best people to gravitate towards. And I think that can happen in our church uh, church search as well. So it's important to, to bring discernment. It's no guarantees by bringing discernment. We can wind up in a series of bad churches with all the discernment in the world. But here are four marks of the church in helping you discern what a church is that you should be looking for. Um, oneness or unity, there should be unity in the body. Does that mean there's not going to be arguments, there's not going to be fights? Yes, there are going to be arguments and fights because that's what families do. Um, it should. It, the church is holy, that means it is made holy by Christ, and it is moving towards holiness. It's on a journey of holiness as well. It sees the what we're... Uh, what we're trying to accomplish as a church, as helping people reflect more and more the image of Christ. The church is Catholic, meaning universal. So a local church looks beyond its walls and says, we're part of something way bigger, like what the video talked about, and it's apostolic. That means it grounds itself on Scripture, and Scripture goes back to the teaching of the apostles and um, in the way that they read the Old Testament, the, the Bible that they had, as well as their teaching, in the New Testament. So these are marks of the church. Now, without, uh, without blurting it out, you can just kind of raise your hand. Do you know where those four marks come from, aside from Scripture? Do you know where the four marks come from? Anybody see something familiar there? Maybe? Okay. Um, it comes from the Nicene Creed. That's where it comes from. And the Nicene Creed, those four marks in the Nicene Creed, go back even farther to the 100s. Those are marks of the church that were talked about within 100 years or so of the establishment of the church. So the Nicene Creed says this, we believe in one holy, Catholic, universal, and apostolic church. That's from the 300s, but that idea goes back to the 100s. Now creeds are really important in the church. The Nicene Creed, for example, you maybe have, uh, maybe grew up in a church that recited creeds as part of your worship. And maybe it's been a while, maybe Five Oaks is the first church you've gone to that doesn't recite creeds, Uh, and maybe the second or third, but that may be in your background, the reciting of creeds. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church still recites creeds. The Orthodox churches still recite creeds. Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, Anglican, and many forms of Reformed churches still recite creeds, sometimes The Nicene Creed, sometimes the Apostles' Creed, are uh, what they recite. And creeds are important. The creeds were put together by church councils. It would be leaders of the church that would get together, and the purpose was to keep the church from straying into really bad theology, things that would destroy the church and destroy lives. So the creeds were very important. They were also extremely important for teaching theology. They can still be important for teaching theology, but imagine in a time when people didn't read, where you couldn't go and buy a book, where everything had to be done by hand before the printing press, where people did not have Bibles in their homes, not necessarily because the church was saying you can't have a Bible, but simply because they could not afford a Bible even if they wanted one. The creeds were a way of teaching theology and keeping people from taking bad roads of theology that would destroy them and destroy the people around them. Now a church like ours, uh, has more what's, uh, what, well, has what's called a statement of faith. And so if you go to our website, and you go to the About Us, and you go to What Do We Believe, you can see what our statement of faith is, and we share the, statement, the same statement of faith with all churches in our denomination, which is the Evangelical Free Church of America. Now, uh, I, I feel a little embarrassed by this. I don't know why. I don't know exactly the history of the movement from creeds to statements of faith. Uh, But every good statement of faith is built on the shoulders of the creeds of the church. And so um, the creeds are still still very, very important. Now here's a a little warning where I talked about orthodoxy and orthopraxy. There's some people today, many times very well-meaning people, people that have great, good, solid theology. This is not uh, to disparage them at all. But there are a lot of people today, or a growing number of people, I should say, who are differentiating orthodoxy, right belief, from orthopraxy, which means right practice, and in a desire for Christians to unite around something, because Christ wanted us to be united. He didn't necessarily want us to be uniform, but he wanted us to be united, that the, that Christians having a united front is a witness to our world. I mean, Jesus actually literally says that. And in an effort to to try to bring greater unity across denominations, there has been an emphasis on saying, look, we all, all the churches, whether it be a church like ours or um, an Anglican church or a Lutheran church, we all hold to the theology of the creeds. So let's build our unity, our larger unity, around orthodoxy, right doctrine, and let's quit emphasizing orthopraxy, which is right practice. All right, so sounds good. Uh, There is a little bit of truth in it. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's it's not true, but here's the problem with pitting those against each other. I was reading a a blog post by one of my favorite writers and pastors, Andrew Wilson, a British pastor. And he gives uh, basically three things to think about if you're going to do that. One of them, he says, think about Paul in Corinth. Think about the fact that in, the, in 1 Corinthians, there's this whole section where Paul deals with the difference between people who feel okay about going to the marketplace and buying meat that has been offered to idols and eating it at home, and people within the church who feel if they do that, they're participating with demons. And so he addresses that and in the end he says, look, you can agree to disagree on this. And you should treat each other with respect, you should respect each other's position on this. Those of you who, who feel it's okay, you know, don't, don't eat meat that you bought at the marketplace while with your brothers who think that that's wrong and it would be a sin to do that. And so he just says, you know, be mutual, you just agree to disagree within, with, within the congregation. <clears throat> but in 1 Corinthians 5, before he ever gets out of the discussion, uh, he says, hey, I've heard that there is a man in your congregation who's sleeping with his father's wife. And he doesn't say, hey, let's just agree to disagree. Let's focus on orthodoxy. Let's focus on belief and set aside orthopraxy ethics of the Christian life. No, he says some pretty strong things. He says, put them out of your fellowship. And if you got put out of the fellowship in Corinth, there was only probably a dozen churches, uh, maybe a couple hundred people. You didn't have another church to go down the street to. That was it. It was like they were all connected. They were all founded by Paul. And if you left, there was really no place to go. He says, put them out of your fellowship. He says, hand them over to Satan. For the destruction of his flesh. Now, he's not saying so that he'll die. What he's saying is you have to understand what Paul says about flesh. That part of us that is still opposed to Christ and to God and to his kingdom. And hopefully that will be destroyed. And, and the hope is for the salvation of this guy. And then he even goes farther. Um, he says, don't even eat with this guy. Don't give him... Don't, I'm not just talking about in your church fellowship, I'm talking about in your homes. Don't invite this guy. He's not going to learn his lesson. He is not going to be kind of out in the realm of Satan, the world, flapping around as a Christian. The only hope that we have for him is that while he's out there, he'll go, I don't want to live this way. I want to repent of my sin and I want to come back. And then he says, that doesn't mean you don't eat with non-Christians. He says, it's very, very clear. He says, this is about Christians who are unrepentant in their sin, continually unrepentant in their sin. And aren't willing to deal with it. Those are the people that I'm talking about, he says. And he says, don't you understand, if you have a little bit of leaven, it leavens the whole loaf. So he's concerned for this man, and he's concerned for the congregation. And any church, worth the name church, does this when someone is living in an unrepentant way that is destructive to themselves, to their family, and to the congregation. It's called corrective church discipline. All right? So Paul draws... Lines around orthopraxy, around, around uh, ethics. So Andrew Wilson says this: there are things that I could do, not just things that I could believe, which if, uh, which if I was not repentant, would lead to my brothers and sisters to remove me from the church, both for the good of me and for the good of the whole congregation. All right. So orthopraxy is important. Orthopraxy is important. Here's the last thing that Andrew Wilson says. He says, there are all kinds of people who affirmed the creeds, who then participated in trying to exterminate the Jews. There were all kinds of people in Rwanda who affirmed the creeds in church on Sunday and affirmed it in their homes, but they killed their neighbors that came from a different tribe. They participated in Rwandan genocide. There are people who affirmed the creeds but participated in slave trading and participated in lynchings. He says, if you want to downplay orthopraxy, think about that. It's not just about orthodoxy; it's about living the life that God has called us to live, based on the theology that we hold. All right, what else do we need to know about the church? We need to know about the acts of the church. So the the church. What are the acts of the church? Is the church gathers for worship and the word why? And the emphasis right here is on gather. Why do we gather for worship in the Word? You realize you can get the Word online uh, at any time from hundreds of preachers, literally hundreds of preachers that are better than me. <laughs> All right, so you can, you can, you can get that you can worship with, with music, you can get your family together, and you can sing songs of worship, you can have your private, quiet time listening to worship songs. You can do all of that on your own. So why do we gather for worship? Why? That's a question I'm not going to answer, <laughs> because I really want you to think about it. I, I, don't, I, I think if you don't have an enduring why, this happens all the time, You eventually stop gathering for worship. It takes a lot of effort to put your pants on, take a shower, comb your hair, and show up. It does. And there's a lot of other things you could do, and you could do it a lot quicker by not gathering. I'm not talking about under COVID conditions where some people should not be gathering, okay? I'm talking about under regular conditions. It takes a lot of effort. If you don't have an enduring why, and if you don't own it, it's a why that you own, it's not gonna make it over time. All right, so I want to give you a little clue, and I'm going to give you a little part of the answer a little bit later. But here's, here's the clue. Look at the four images of the church that we had earlier. The bride of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, the family of God. Every single one of these should play into your answer. Your answer needs to be more enduring than maybe what it is right now. Because if the substance of your answer is, man, under COVID, <clears throat> I've just have come to realize I need other people in order for my faith to stay strong. That is not a good enough answer. That is a typical answer that any American could give because we are so individualistic and so focused on ourselves. It goes beyond what I need. Is it true? Yes, that should be part of your answer. <laughs> I think you did. You know. I think we all learned that to some degree during COVID are still experiencing the problem of being divided uh f- from from our community uh if our health doesn't allow for us to you know to to, to meet or our convictions about uh about COVID. Uh but it's not enough it's not an enduring why look at the clues look at what it says here and that should be now there's a question in your sermon application guide i think it's number seven And it asks this, and it might even be good for you to write out what your answer is, even if you're not in a small, small group. Uh, But if you're in a small group, you're going to be discussing this question this week. All right, the church gathers for worship and the Word, gathers for worship and the Word, and the church practices the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So, practices the ordinances. This is unique to the church gathered. Uh, This little clue, I'm kind of giving you part of the answer to the question. But this is unique to the church gathered. This is not something that you do on your own, baptism and the Lord's Supper. This is something that we do as we gather together with the church. They're called ordinances because they're mandated by Jesus. They're ordered by Jesus. They're ordinances. Some denominations call them sacraments. Um, We uh, lean towards ordinances in churches like ours. Um, They were mandated by Jesus, and then as you read the book of Acts, the life of the early church, as you read between the lines and the things that the apostles are talking about in the epistles, you see that they are practicing baptism, and they're practicing the Lord's Supper. These are mandated. They're not optional. They're not optional. They're things we do out of obedience to Christ, because he mandated them. But they are much more than a matter of obedience And this is where I want to go right now with this point. It's much more. We we get baptized out of obedience to Christ, but it needs to be more than that. We participate in the Lord's Supper out of obedience to Christ, but it needs to be more than that. And to talk about that, I want to go back. I want to go back to Exodus. Okay, so it's the second book of the Bible. The people of Israel are slaves in the land of Egypt. God has told Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, and Pharaoh has refused. And so God brings a series of plagues, and he's now to the 10th and last plague. And this plague is that he's gonna send a death angel, the destroyer, into the land of Egypt. And every firstborn of animals and every firstborn of people is gonna die. The destroyer is going to destroy them. It's gonna take their life including the firstborn of the Jews, unless they do what God says they must do. God says, sacrifice a lamb that is without blemish, the most perfect lamb you can find, not the one with the broken foot that you you need to get rid of, the most perfect lamb that you can find, and sacrifice it. Take the blood and put it over the doorposts so when the destroyer comes in, he will pass over your home. And thus, Passover, the Jews still practice it. All right, now here's what's interesting. Look at what, how Moses prepares the people of Israel for that very first Passover, Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month and the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family one for each household now he goes into detail as to the whole procedure of what they're supposed to do and then he goes on in verse 14 this is a day you are to commemorate for the generate for generations for the generations to come you shall celebrate it as a festival to the lord a lasting ordinance all right it's commanded that you must do this later he says then moses summoned all the elders of israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Now, what, what I want you to see is in verse 21, he finally says, go and do it. What's everything that he says before it? He says, you're going to do this on a regular basis. I mean, it's, it's kind of a new, every time I read this, I'm always, I'm always kind of taken by, he's talking about what they're going to continue doing every year and are still doing today, although they don't sacrifice a lamb. All right. What is it? It's not just go out and do it. This is how you're going to be saved. No, this is how you're going to be saved. Let me tell you, this is going to be the first month of your year. This is going to be uh, something that you do regularly as a family. I'm going to give you ex- exacting distru- instructions as to how you do it, and you do it over and over and over again before it even happens. Go to the Lord's Supper. You know, fast forward you know, over a thousand years, and you go to the Lord's Supper. And Jesus is gathered for a Passover meal with his disciples. And while he's there at that Passover meal, he says this to them. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me for as often as you do it. So, right, right there, they are having, they're celebrating Passover, and as he says, we're about to take Passover, and I'm giving you the, the new meaning. It's a new covenant in my blood. I'm a, I am redefining what Passover is because it was always pointing towards me. He makes certain that they understand this is something that you will do, you will continue to do. It's mandated by him. Do this, and as, for as often as you do it. And you read the New Testament. Like I said, you see them celebrating the Lord's Supper. As you read um, uh, all of these kinds of passages, I'm going to read a couple more, you see that it's not just a mandate. You see that it's a celebration. You see that it's a remembrance. It's an act of remembrance. You see that it is a reenactment over and over and over again in these texts. You're going to be reenacting something that has happened in the past. You find that it has profound meaning as the scriptures unfold the meaning. You discover that it is a proclamation, that when you do these things, you're actually proclaiming something with these reenactments. And so the Apostle Paul, when the Corinthians, who were like as messy a church as you can have, uh, are, are messed up in their celebration of the Lord's Supper, and their mess is that the rich people, they, they're doing it as part of a meal and the rich people are showing up ahead of time and they're eating the whole meal, <laughs> celebrating the Lord's Supper. And the people who have day jobs, uh, the slaves among them, the workers among them are showing up later and there's nothing left for them. Read 1 Corinthians 11. That's the problem that they're having. And he says, this is, this is, this is dishonoring the body. Church. This is dishonoring the body of Christ. That's what he tells them. But listen to what he says as part of that about it. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken, which is for you. Do this and remembrance of me. Remembrance. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we're doing when we celebrate communion. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is talking about unity with Christ. And he says, "Or don't you know that all of us, who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him. The reenactment. The reenactment of what happened to Jesus on the cross. It's an enactment and a proclamation of what happens to our sins when we receive Christ as our Savior. You are buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like, like his. You see, it's more than an ordinance. It's a celebration. It's a reminder. It's a proclamation. A proclamation of the gospel in, in all of its various... Um, layers. Can you see that if you dismiss the importance and the necessity of the church gathered, something is deeply, deeply wrong with your conception of the church. Deeply wrong in a damaging way in your conception of the church. And when something is deep wrong and damaging. It's a sin and it needs to be repented of. And you need to recommit yourself to Christ's church. Don't underestimate the church. Don't neglect the church. Don't take it for granted. There, I gave you part of the answer again, but that's not the whole answer. Look back at those images. What else do we need to know about the church? This is the last one. We need to know about the mission of the church. So, uh, Jesus before he ascended, gave a couple of commissions that are oftentimes called the Great Commission. One is in Matthew. He says, as you go, make disciples. As you go into all the earth, make disciples. He doesn't differentiate between uh, evangelism and discipleship. It's all one. Take people wherever they're at, far from God, on the journey with God. Make them followers of Jesus. How do you do that? By baptizing them. And then by teaching them. That's what he says so that's the mission uh, the scope of it is given in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 again the resurrected Jesus talking and he says go and be my witnesses start right here in Jerusalem because that's where they were and then go to Judea which is the larger uh, geographic area and then go to Samaria which is well it's it's a place filled with heretics and then go to the ends of the earth go into all those places and tell people about me be my witness so that's the scope it's into all the world we are followers of Jesus because as people were going they were making disciples we are disciples of Jesus we follow Jesus all here who follow Jesus because someone on the way someone somewhere else told us the gospel or told our parents or told our grandparents or told our great grandparents the mission to the world is a mission established, mandated by Jesus. The scope of it is the whole world. All right, we have a, um, our, our impact director. So impact is that third aspect of the church that we talk about as being our purpose and as being the way of becoming disciples. Uh, we impact the world for Christ, and it includes bringing new people into relationship with Christ. It includes doing acts of compassion and justice, and it includes world missions. And uh, our impact director, Kevin Johnson, who was one of our original members going back to 1989, um, our impact director, Kevin Johnson, uh, has been working on something that's a real passion of his, passion of all of us, but he's put like some real feet. To his passion and that is uh, world missions and the next generations part in world missions and I'm very very excited about what he's done and so we're gonna watch a video where he talks about this and think of it in terms of our mission as a church
3: hi I'm Kevin Johnson impact director at Five Oaks Church Did you know that two to three billion people in the world have little chance of ever meeting a Christ follower, let alone hearing the gospel? Did you know that the vast majority of these people live in countries closed to traditional missionaries? Add to that the fact that 30% of missionaries will retire in the next five years. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, that we should ask him to send more laborers. Where do those laborers come from? It starts with making healthy disciples, creating global vision in those disciples and presenting them with opportunities. To that end, we've begun an initiative called the Missions Incubator. One of our first steps was to hire an impact intern last summer, 2020 high school graduate, Abby Gunderson. She worked with our impact partners, caught the vision for global missions, and is now passing it on to other college students. She helped us establish a social media platform for young adults, Thrive students, targeting college students from Five Oaks. It connects them to each other, to discipleship opportunities on their campus, and exposes them to opportunities to live on mission for God's purposes through their careers. Some of them may become traditional missionaries, church planters, trainers of young pastors, and so on. Those roles are indispensable. Others may choose to become professionals who seek to work in other countries in order to spread the glory of God's grace and love to those countries. Did you know that 69% of young adults in America are ready to take a job overseas? Did you know that if only 1% of the believers among them acted on that desire and were trained to do that for the purpose of God's mission, there would be 150,000 agents of the gospel on mission globally? Americans are highly sought for jobs in countries which are closed to traditional missionaries. Imagine if every engineer, doctor, electrician, lawyer, politician, athlete, artist, and student made the glory of God and the spread of His fame throughout the earth their primary aim. It would change the statistics about those who have never heard about Jesus. This is not a pipe dream. There are visionary and strategic Christ followers who are facilitating this movement toward global careers as we speak through recruiting firms and country-specific career coaching firms. So that's the big vision of which our Five Oaks Missions Incubator is a part, to bring our best and brightest into the nations where God is not known. What does our Missions Incubator look like right now? Five Oaks students will participate this summer in a youth group mission trip taking place here in the Twin Cities, and working with our urban partners to help our young people catch the vision for missions. Secondly, we will hire two impact interns this summer. Their internship will focus on working with our local impact partners, but they will also participate in a six-week APEX mission trip overseas as part of their internship. We will provide scholarships of up to 33% for Five Oaks College students who go on short-term trips this summer through three of our key partners, Apex, The Salt Company, and Crew. We look forward to sharing stories with you later in the year about the results. What can you do? If you're a high school student, participate in the Twin Cities Mission Trip this summer. If you are a high school senior or college student, Consider summer mission opportunities with Apex, the Salt Company, or Crew. Apply for the Five Oaks internships or scholarships. Parents and anyone who influences our young adults, encourage them to consider these opportunities. Support them in prayer and financially. For more information about anything in this video, write incubator on your communication card or email impact at fiveoakschurch.org. Thank you.
2: Let's, uh, let's begin our response to God uh, by celebrating communion together. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, taking the bread, remembering his body broken for us. And we take the cup. Remembering his blood shed for the remission of our sins. Father, we thank you for the church. We confess to you that we are not who we should be, that we fall way short. That we have every resource possible to be what you've called us to be. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the instructions of your word, and yet we fall short. So we come humbly before you asking, teach us, work in us, empower us, give us insight, send us into the world of our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our neighbors, neighbors who are from all over the world, workmates who are from all over the world. Help us to be on mission for you. Help us to be prayerful for our missionaries who are serving all over the world. And prayerful for those who take jobs with international companies for the sake of your mission, the opportunities that provides in places where the gospel is not being preached. We thank you, Father. Pray that your protection on them. We pray for the effectiveness of what they do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.